The following Mark's Daily Apple article was written by Mark Sisson and is narrated by Tina Lehman. The dangers of people-pleasing in the modern world and what to do about it. Be selfish. It's without a doubt the habit of highly successful hunter-gatherers I've gotten the most feedback on throughout the last few years. The reason, I think, is that it's so unexpectedly radical, so brashly subversive to an almost universally held tenet. Good people serve others rather than themselves. You can file it under the better-to-give-than-receive ethic and the general cult of self-sacrifice that permeates Western moral and work culture. We're supposed to want to help others, to devote our lives to the service of the greater good. To be selfish is to be shallow, vapid, a flimsy one-dimensional model of what it means to be human. But as modestly proposed in The Primal Connection, we're working here with an unfortunate distortion that can quickly wade into treacherous, life-sucking waters. To adapt a time-old proverb, I'd say the road to personal hell is often paved with the well-intentioned pursuit of people-pleasing. While there's certainly nothing wrong with wanting to see others happy or making a positive difference in the world, we more quickly meet with a law of diminishing returns than we may admit. Where does natural, feel-good altruism morph into unhealthy self-sacrifice? At what point are we denying our basic needs for the comfort and good opinions of others? And what gets lost when we find ourselves down that dysfunctional rabbit hole? I think a glimpse at our forebearer's reality offers an interesting perspective to all this. Grok and his kin, after all, lived in small bands of 25 to 40 people, depending on which anthropological analysis you read. Certainly, pro-social behavior was adaptive for oneself. Better to get along than to be exiled into the Paleolithic wilderness. And for one's group. A united functioning group operates more effectively and thus has a better chance of surviving. Within these small groups, demands were rigorous, but relatively few in number and direction. Leisure was ample, as were opportunities for solitude if one so desired. There was work to be done, and it was achieved cooperatively. Band ethos obliged all to contribute to their potential. Today, by comparison, we have at least peripheral contact with sometimes hundreds of people on a daily basis. We're part of larger social groups, neighborhoods, families, social media cliques, and work groups that, unlike the Paleolithic model, rarely overlap. We may not spend all day with these people hunting and dressing a kill, but we field countless micro-demands, such as favors, questions, invitations, feedback, etc., from them in addition to more substantial requests and responsibilities. With email, text, and social media, the fact is hundreds, if not thousands, of people have unlimited access to us every day, a novel phenomenon to the human nervous system. To boot, our much more diffuse societal structure means there aren't only more demands for more directions, but there are fewer checks and balances on the rigor or frequency of those demands. It's certainly easier to depersonalize others in a culture where social contact is compartmentalized. Without everyone living in close quarters and in constant contact together, there are fewer witnesses to the composite of any given person's behavior, a situation capitalized on by office bullies, social manipulators, and energy vampires everywhere. 
band community in Grok's time would have weeded out these folks and sent them packing. But today, we rarely enjoy that kind of awareness, let alone intervention. Some of us may have an easier time taking it in stride, but others are more prone to what's sometimes pathologized as people-pleasing behavior, the subservient tendency to put others first and acquiesce to social and or professional demands even to the detriment of oneself. Truth be told, however, most if not all of us likely feel pressure to accommodate more things to more people these days. Just how much should we be expected to take in and how much external responsibility can we accommodate before we start to suffer as a result? Are we willing to subject ourselves to continuous stress, anxiety, and burnout to stay in everyone's good graces? Or are we ready to get off the carousel for the sake of personal balance and mental well-being? How do we begin to reorient ourselves from a people-pleasing or over-accommodating existence toward a more measured one? Here are nine suggestions. Number one, drop what you aren't responsible for. The years have taught me that we often carry burdens we never intended to pick up. Let's be clear on one thing, for instance. We all choose to participate in activities, chores, or projects, either because something is a condition of our employment or we decide we'd like to help someone with a specific task. We participate in the task. We take responsibility for our actions related to the task that we've accepted. We are not, however, in accepting a task or in not accepting a task, responsible for anyone's feelings or expectations at any point in the process or discussion. Number two, accept that not everyone's going to like you, especially after implementing the last point. In band society, it paid to get along with the couple dozen people around you. In today's society, that's an unrealistic scenario that will exact too high a price from your own happiness, health, and contentment. If you need it, Grok gives you his personal permission to be choosy. Number three, embrace a new definition of selfish. If we've spent our entire lives defining ourselves by how much we give to others, we need to realign those expectations. To be selfish in the primal sense isn't to be a jerk who never thinks of others or never acts to better the world around us. It's simply to think and act realistically for the sake of self-preservation. We're of no use to anyone if we ourselves are floundering. When we put our own oxygen mask on first, we're better able to serve others in our lives. We do this with unapologetic self-care and necessary boundaries around our time and energy. This includes checking out from the virtual world, too, when we want to, rather than when others would prefer it. Number four, get real about how people-pleasing plays out in your life. Assess your life and the situations in which you've done things that you had no interest in doing, things that didn't serve you and even ended up being to your detriment, perhaps resulting in exhaustion or missing other opportunities. Who do you accommodate too much? What do you accommodate too much of? Where and when do you typically do this or agree to do it? And why do you keep putting yourself in the same miserable straits? Number five, determine where you need new and improved boundaries in your life. Decide how much time and effort you're willing to commit for helping others. Once you've settled on one, don't be afraid to cut that number in half. Be thoughtful about what time you want to reserve for yourself and when you'd be happy being available to other people. Number six, Ration and schedule time for email, text, and phone call responses. 
This is putting boundaries around your time and energy in the virtual world, and it's one of the most neglected steps people take to protect their sanity. Few things in life require an immediate response. Stop living like everything is a grok-style emergency, even if other people around you are. You'll be more content and productive as a result. Number seven, have a line for saying no. The desire to say no is great, but let's face it. If you aren't prepared in the moment, you may lose your nerve out of a sense of discombobulation. Have a scripted response when you want to decline a request or invitation. Thanks, but I have a commitment. Or, I appreciate your asking, but I'm booked up that week. Can be simple and to the point. If you can't bring yourself to that kind of response or don't think that will suffice in the situation, say you'll think about it and let them know by a certain time. Number eight, stop explaining yourself. This is the essential follow-up to the previous point. When you say no to a request, barring a necessary project or duty related to your employment, you aren't obligated to explain the whys or why nots. If someone presses the point, understand that this person is the one breaking the social contract, not you, and simply repeat the same line that you have another commitment and won't be able to attend, participate, help out, join, etc. If they won't let it go, imagine what Grok would do. Number nine, spend more time alone. The ultimate antidote to people-pleasing isn't a set of commandments. It's a self-focused orientation an attunement to oneself rather than the myriad of demands and voices around you. When we think of selfish people, we imagine them as self-absorbed. Yet some of the most self-absorbed people I know are the most flagrant busybodies of the world, the ones who need to have their hands in everything, to be appreciated and admired and included. Solitude takes us out of that cycle and re-centers us in ourselves. We filter decisions through our innate intuition, rather than outward pressures. This is the crucial, life-changing difference between self-absorption and self-possession. Thanks for listening today, and have a great end to your week. Think about doing something for yourself this weekend.